Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Maybe I should say West Ham for this episode, but we'll get right <laughs> to that in a minute. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston. I have Rahul here from Connecticut, and Rahul, I've already jumped into the West Ham conversation. I see your background is West Ham. Do we need to talk about that first this time? Is I mean, sure, we can start there, and it's a result that... Um, it's great for West Ham and it's great for Chelsea. Yeah, all credit to West Ham, first of all. I think before we get into the whole, and maybe we'll come round full circle <laughs> and, and cover it. But that picture for those you know fans looking at YouTube, maybe you're you have a second to look at this, but that Zuma header was incredible. And of course, we're talking about the Liverpool result, which followed the Chelsea result, and West Ham ending up with a win, which maybe saves us a little bit of egg on our faces. I don't know. I mean, it definitely does, and uh, we celebrate Liverpool falling behind in, in the table, but you've got to acknowledge that West Ham closed the gap uh, to us and, and now sit three points behind us, which uh, in itself is a testament to the work they've been doing all season, and, and David Moyes has been doing since he came in about 18 months ago. So uh, a great result for them, great atmosphere at the stadium, a great game indeed. Um, I, I didn't get to watch it, but I know... Uh, you did, and and it was back and forth. And to beat a Liverpool side uh, is always a great achievement. It is indeed, and maybe we'll circle back to it. Like I said, let's jump back into the Chelsea game, and then we'll kind of see how all of this played out and what it meant for us. But we did take on Burnley. You know, we're playing the Ginger Mourinho, the famous Sean Dyche has been, you know, plotted for his style of play, his defensive stability, what he brings to the Premier League. Burnley, in fairness to them, have not done so well overall this season, but this result we'll talk about here in, in depth in just a second. But uh, he kind of shook things up for Chelsea, didn't he? He did. I mean, he started with, as we expected, Mendy. Uh, Christensen came in, which we weren't expecting. At least you and I hadn't predicted that. Uh, Thiago Silva and Rudiger, we did predict. Reese James, Angola Conte, Jorginho, and Ben Cholo, pretty standard. Uh, Ross Barkley got a start. And Hudson Adoy continued, and Kai Havertz being the only option as as the striker uh, played. But like you mentioned, that was that you thought it was a three four two one, but it ended ended up being three four one two with Barkley playing the number ten position. Do you know it's interesting because we've played that three four three for a little bit this season, and then we've played that three five two for a little bit this season. This three four one two whether it's kind of a mix of both where Barkley slips into the midfield or kind of pushes up into the final third. I quite enjoyed it specifically for this game. And I think it worked. And I think credit to Tuchel, we'll, we'll get into the results in just a minute here, but credit to Tuchel because it really suited the players that we have fit and the players that are available right now. Cause yes, Ross didn't get on the score sheet, but he really thrived finding space in that pocket between our midfield and the strikers, as well as Burnley's midfield and the strikers. And that's precisely why he was playing. Tucho mentioned that he saw uh, him, has been seeing him in training. He's been performing very well, even though he doesn't get picked that often. Uh, So finally, he deserved his uh, opportunity to start. And in the role where Tucho thought would be uh, something that would fit him well, especially in this kind of game where you know Burnley are going to sit deep, going to sit tight. Um, having a player with the ability, especially with Ross Barkley, to, to kind of float and just uh, attract defenders and, and players that opens up spaces for the front two. 
uh, on paper and from what we saw at least for the first 70 or 75 odd minutes was it worked out. It worked out indeed. And I'll run through some stats really, really quickly here. I know we usually save that towards the end, but I think it will help tell the story of what went down. And overall in the game, Chelsea had 25 shots to Burnley's five. And, and covering that first half versus that second half, you've got to think about Mandy didn't really have much to do. I mean, he could have pulled out a lawn chair and taken a break in that first half because and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, he really had nothing to do. Of those 25 shots, though, Rahul, only four on target for Chelsea versus Burnley's two. So you start talking about maybe being clinical or trying to at least hit the target with some of the things that we're going through. I, you know, we'll get into that in just a second. I'll get your thoughts. Possession-wise, <laughs> 70% of the ball throughout that entire game versus 30%. We put together 660 passes versus Burnley's 285. 14 set pieces in terms of corners to Burnley's two. So I'll stop here, pause for a second. I made it a little bit dramatic, but I want to get your <laughs> feedback because the game ends 1-1. Uh, first half, we've talked about Mendy p- putting out his uh, beach chair, having a margarita on the side, <laughs> but the game ends 1-1. You know, let's dissect it a little bit. Shots on target, 25, uh, four on target out of the 25. What are we doing wrong? We're not finishing these shots. We're not putting them in a position where um, they're working the goalkeeper or if we're taking these shots, they're not. They're not coming off. And, and that was a concern, right? When Lukaku and, and Timo went down almost three weeks ago at this point, uh, that was the concern was with just Havertz and, and some of the attacking players missing too in Mason Mount and, and Pulisic. Uh, we were always going to have this kind of a game. Uh, and it comes uh, comes against an opposition and a manager, like you mentioned, in, in Sean Dyche or Ginger Mourinho, where they're very well drilled. They are happy to let us have the ball. You said we had 70%. That, that is what they wanted. They're happy for us to take these shots, 25 shots, obviously maybe not in double digits like that. Uh, but they look at shots on target and they say four, and, and that's a great day of work for them. Uh, for us, we started off well. We had multiple chances, a lot of last-minute blocks that, that came through from uh, Burnley. And they worked for their result, and we... If go if we go two up, that that's a win for us. But we always kept them alive and kept them in the game. And uh, in one of these instances where we rarely concede from open play, I believe this was the first time, uh, at least at home, uh, it comes off for Burnley and they get a point that they feel is very well deserved. And we feel like we should have gotten three. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you. I don't want to say it feels like a loss, but it feels like we we left easy points on the table. And that's not to be disrespectful to Bernie. I think you summarized it excellently. The Ginger Mourinho, Sean Dyche, his team was well-organized. Their shape was really well-kept, I must say. As much as we were attacking and coming in from different angles, they kind of kept compact and tight and really offered a lot of protection. I think Nick Pope is the goalkeeper, and he had done excellent he had put up some amazing saves in that game as well so all credit to them but from a Chelsea standpoint you've got to look at it and say yes you got your strikers injured yes some of your key attacking talent is out but I'm going to throw some names out there and, and Callum Hudson-Odoi can put the ball in the net you've got Kai Havertz who did end up putting the ball in the net we haven't even talked about the goal yet 
Ross Barkley, Ben Chilwell, and Reese James, who have been brilliant from scoring. Jorginho pops up with a goal every now and then, usually penalties. And then Golo Kante, we know, drives from midfield. And we still still got to wonder, couldn't find a way through. What are we missing now beyond, yes, you've you've covered, couldn't put the ball in the net. Yes, you've covered injuries. But again, Rahul, on paper, let me give you one more interesting stat here. Chelsea had 25 shots in the match, like I said earlier. They're most in a Premier League home game, and they failed to win since August 2015 against Crystal Palace. So time's catching up with us here, huh? It is, and it's it's one of those things. It's, and I, I, say, I spoke about Burnley, but it's also just the Premier League, right? When a team goes a goal down, and they never give up in Burnley. And, and for Chelsea, it's we got to get the second, we got to get the third, like we did against Norwich City. I'm not comparing Norwich City to Burnley, right. but that's that's basically the mentality. And we've got to raise our hands and say we had our chances we didn't put them to bed and Burnley did well to to limit Reese James Ben Chilwell to an extent uh and you mentioned Kai Havertz and, and Hudson Adoy who ended up playing as the two strikers and and Havertz got a goal and it was a great goal but those two aren't primarily finishers in terms of of getting a goal or or aren't in that kind of form where you look at maybe a Mohamed Salah. And I know that's like right. the extreme world-class kind of uh, example, but you almost need something or someone like that in, in a hot streak of form to, to break down Burnley when they're sitting that deep in, and we're creating our chance or we're just not finishing them. Yeah. And, and fair enough, because you, you've talked about a Mohamed Salah, which I would say, yes, is definitely the opposite end of the spectrum, but, you look at our players and they didn't perform poorly by any means necessarily. I have to be very honest about that. I think it's just on the day things didn't go for us or we just weren't clinical enough and Burnley really, really kept their shape and kept pushing for this. And and I think at the end of the day, well-deserved. It does sting a little bit because you're talking about, quote-unquote, the best defense so far, not conceding from open play, Mendy sipping his margarita on the side, and then you know things don't always go to plan because – Actually, I think it was Mark Vidra who scored for Burnley. And that was his first goal, I think, in 17 or 18 odd games like that, which which goes to tell you a story of when the chips are against you, sometimes they really are against you. They are. And, and we've had a few instances this season where we've come up against teams that, that sit tight, sit defensive. Uh, I think back to Aston Villa, uh, where we had the difference of Lukaku, where I said to you, if he's not in that game, it's 1-0, which comes off a mistake from Aston Villa and Kovac should score. So these are the type of games where you need that striker presence. And, and I don't mean to keep beating on the same drum, but if we had a Lukaku or even a Timo Werner to an extent, I think this game is out of sight by the time Burnley go up and, and try to get themselves a goal. Yeah, and I, I try to take some silver linings out of the game. I don't think we picked up any injuries out of this particular game, given everything that we've had. Ross Barkley looked sharp. He looked good on the day, and so that's good to see as well. Ruben Loftus' cheek came on, and so that's another thing showing. We've talked about the resurgence of those two gentlemen over there. Uh, Callum looking fresh and, and hungry as ever, and then Mason and Pulisic, who are coming off some injuries, got some minutes in there as well. So good to see them coming back into form Uh just a couple of interesting things here. You know, Burnley fought back, coming back to win that point, which again, I say felt like we left some points on the table, but poor Burnley have failed to win any games so far this season. So given the praise that we're heaping upon them now, 
where do they go from here, Rahul? We've already seen Norwich and maybe Villa and some other you know managers lose their jobs. We'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. But where do they go from here with the Ginger Mourinho? I, I think this was a continuation of their first victory that they picked up a week prior to playing us against Brentford. And we've heaped praise on Brentford all season long, who've now lost, I think, three or four in a row. Uh, so for Burnley to get those three points, come away to Stamford Bridge and pick up a point, I think it's the start of their season. It's almost like we've seen with, with Sean Dyche and Burnley, where they kind of don't get the points in the beginning, and then they go through in a spell and pick up a bunch of, of, of wins and clear themselves away from their relegation zone, and, and they're good. So I think this is the start of that. Uh, and for them, it's it's coming at a good time because you come back from this next international break, which we're currently in, actually, uh, and you just have games coming up and coming up, and, and that's the time to be informed versus, for us, dropping points right before the international break almost leaves a sour taste in the mouth because we went through from the last international break to now flawlessly. We won every game except for this one. Yeah, it's definitely something to really pay attention to. And, you know, one interesting fact that I've been, I've been reading on the internet and kind of learning about is that our defenders seem to feel, and, and again, this is just an opinion. I'm not saying this is exactly what's happening but our defenders seem to feel the pressure to almost contribute to goal scoring. We've talked highly about Reese James and Ben Chilwell, of course, Marcus Alonso when he comes in, but even the likes of Christensen who scored his first Chelsea goal the other day in the champions league. And you've got Silva and Rudiger and you, you saw Rudiger making these lung busting runs as he typically does. And I'm wondering like, Rudiger, we've got 70% of the ball. We don't need you bombing in there, but you almost have to wonder where if they're feeling it saying, what can I do? Because, you know, the center backs, the defenders have really contributed to goals. What can I do to to help this team? And I personally like to see that. I like to see that everybody's giving their 100%, even the defenders, as far as the final third goes. But you, you've got to wonder, and you've got to hope. And, and I don't think this is a call for crisis. I, I hate to make it sound like that. Even Tuchel was interviewed and said, yeah, we'll just stop everything we've done. We're top of the table. We'll change our game plan. We'll change our formation. I don't think it's a call to crisis, I think. A few tweaks need to be made. A few minutes extra have to be spent on finishing maybe in training just to get us to be a little more clinical at this point in time. It's it's not a call to crisis, but it's a wake-up call. Yeah, fair um, enough. And it's a wake-up call that comes, again, like we were saying for Burnley, it comes at a time where we know when we come back from this international break, we've got Leicester City, we've got Manchester United, we've got West Ham coming. So some of the names I can think of right off the top of my head. So... It's a wake-up call to say, yes, this Burnley game didn't go exactly the way we wanted. And yes, we ended up with some positive results from the other side of, of London that help us stay stay atop. Uh, but to be at the top at the end of the season, we need to not have these games happen again, especially at home. I get it away from home, Burnley fight back a draw isn't a bad result at home. It feels like a loss, like you were saying, and it's not just a wake up call for the players. It's also a wake up call for Thomas Tuchel because those two subs that you mentioned, Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic came a little too late in this Mm -hmm. game. And we we can definitely touch on that now or, or in a couple of minutes. But for me, those two should have almost come in when we were in that position with the first goal, with the one goal that we had scored, because you're saying almost saying, I know I trust my defense to hold off, but I'm going to go and get the second goal so that if for any God, God reason that 
we give up a goal, we've got another one in the bank versus what we saw was those two came on and it almost became a scramble at the end. And, and we panicked a little because we were like, we need to get this goal and almost conceded a second from Burnley. So it's a wake up call. And, and we, we know Thomas Tuchel's a smart man. He's got his tactics, right. And uh, he's not going to let this team or group of players slip up. Um, but you always need these reminders on the pitch versus in training or, or what the manager says. I think you're spot on. I think that's a very fair analysis. And the fact that the game almost went, for lack of better words, stale. We've, we've seen this in previous management or previous regimes. I can think most recently of with Sari, where we would have the ball for, for what felt like hours on end. And you would say, are we going to make a change to, to do something different? Are we going to hold the ball a little bit better? I mean, you kind of sit there and wait and watching us, I'm scratching my head, wondering like, Pulisic's been out for a long time. Burnley with 30% of the ball, not necessarily. Yes, they, they had a good shape. I keep repeating that, but not necessarily aggressive where they're trying to hurt us or injure us. Maybe it's the right time for Pulisic to get a good 30 minutes there to get a full run out, but to show Tuchel what, A, what he can do, B, maybe with all the ball that possession we have, put a goal or two in the net. And then you talk about Mason Mount, who's been outstanding for us in, in the season before kind of off the boil. Now, maybe this is kind of the game again, with so much possession to let him kind of operate. And, and similarly to even Ruben Loftus cheek, I, I question whether he could have come on earlier on because you've got Georgina and Conte who have played a lot of football and Ruben's looked great this season so far. Maybe he could have come on and, and contributed to that forward pushing momentum, but look, we can sit here and argue all day. I'll get a wrapping thought on, on the entire game from you in just a minute here. But one more one more thought I'd like to leave you with, which is an interesting stat that I've read, is six of the seven points Burnley have won against Chelsea in the Premier League have come at Stamford Bridge. So a little bit interesting to talk about. You talked about home versus away, so it's, it's interesting to read this stat. But I'll let you wrap up some thoughts on this game before we move on. No, look, we, I think we're spoiled a little bit. Like I mentioned in the last month or so, we won every game. Uh, and no team, not Chelsea, not any other team in this world has the God-given right to win every game. But you're at home. You've gone one up against a tough side. Uh, it's an opportunity to kind of open up a gap, even though Liverpool weren't playing till later in the day. City had already won their game. It was really just an opportunity for Chelsea to continue the momentum. And I'm not saying we've lost it. but losing points before an international break and you now wait two weeks until your next game uh, almost feels like a missed opportunity in, in this title race and, and only time will tell, but um, can't, can't get too hung up on it. Like you said, and, and we will fight back and we will come back and we will win games. We're not supposed to win like in later in the season. So that's just the beauty of it. And there's only one moment that I will bring up before we wrap it up was when Ross Barkley could have easily squared this ball, the ball <laughs> to, to Ben Chilwell, uh, who probably would have scored. So uh, that's my only regret from this game is that we could have actually had the opportunity and closed this game up. But hopefully Barkley learns from it uh, because sometimes he does hold that ball a little too much. Uh, but we live to fight another day. We do indeed. Let's move on and talk about some other games around the Premier League. And we'll talk about the table here as well, because I think that's important to mention. But 
I wouldn't dissect every game, but we'll run through some results here. Southampton beat Aston Villa. The only one I'm bringing this reason, the only reason I'm bringing this one up for is I think Tino Livramente scores this goal, if I'm not mistaken. Assist. Um, And so you've got another Chelsea man contributing heavily, but Aston Villa then go ahead and fire their manager, right? They do, and and it wasn't a surprise because I think we had spoken about it in our last yeah. episode where you mentioned uh, Dean Smith and the struggles he'd been having. Uh, but for it to actually happen over the weekend and, and for the, the Villa board and, and owner to move so swiftly um, is commendable in that they, they don't want the situation to get worse, but it's only been, I put my hand up and I say only, but uh, it's been five games since... They won. Uh, they right. went away to Manchester United, and and since then they haven't kicked on. And I think that was the concern. There was before it gets too late, and this international break seems to be an opportunity for a lot of clubs to reset uh, and say we're going to change our manager in Villa, one of them, and um, Dean Smith, the legend there. I think he did a great job from watching from the outside and. Uh, hopefully he'll be back in the Premier League, but Villa will find a new manager and it seems it's going to be Steven Gerrard. And that's the beauty of modern day football or the curse of modern day football, whichever way you want to look at it, is if the results are not going your way, a club like Aston Villa owe a lot to Dean Smith and the fact that he brought them to promotion. Last season, they were high flyers. This season, yes, they lost their talisman, but they signed some good players and it just hasn't clicked so far. But again, being ruthless, the amount of finances on the line, the legacy on the line of staying in the Premier League, you've got to make those swift decisions. And I think, as funny as it may sound, I think they they probably missed John Terry a little bit. I said this a few episodes ago where defensively, he may have corrected something, he may have not, but we'll live to find out. Look, if Steven Gerrard comes in, you're you're following in a long list of young ex-manager, ex-players that are managers now that have struggled through the Premier League. We've, we've talked about Frank Lampard in many, many episodes. He's gone now. Ole at the wheel seems to always either get control of the wheel or lose <laughs> the wheel. We'll talk about that in just a second here. Arteta turning his whole sailboat around. So lots of different things going on. So if he comes in, best wishes to him. He's done a tremendous job at uh, Rangers so far. So hopefully with, uh, with Dean Smith moving on, he can land on his feet and Gerard comes in and something more magical continues in the Premier League. Yeah, and, and for the players, it's a new voice and a new uh, way of doing things. So that could kick on uh, their season. All right, let's move on to another game, Rahul. I was talking about Ole at the wheels. Sometimes he has control, sometimes he doesn't. But this time in the opposite car driving was Pep Guardiola and the game finishes 2-0 to Manchester City. Any doubt on the result? No doubt. Uh, honestly, it should have been a lot more than two. It should have been four or five maybe. Um, but for City, like you said, in the opposite car, the, they were really in a Ferrari, how, how swiftly and how fast they were moving. And, and the movement from City is just exceptional. And, and you see Manchester United, who have the similar talent, uh, looking like they were lost and know what to do. They go down in two in the first half. And um, it's just, you, you don't expect that from Manchester United. And, and we sat here exactly a year ago and we're saying the same things and you saw how Ole turned it around. But um, I don't know if he turns it around this season. And it's simply because I think there's just so much noise around him and, and everything he's doing. And with the last two home games, Liverpool and now City, it just doesn't look like 
a, a club or, or manager or coaching staff that's working towards fixing some of these issues. No, and I think you said it right. I think based on their current squad, they have good talent or similar enough talent. Yes, City have an incredible squad, don't get me wrong, but similar enough talent to at least compete with Manchester City, at least in a, in a one-off game. Maybe you don't want to talk about the whole season, but in a one-off game. But this particular one and Liverpool shows that there is a difference, a, a, a tremendous difference in who's driving the team at that point in time. And so not much other to be said here. I think Manchester City kind of was in half gear, not even first gear, and they controlled the game. So it's scary to see what they can do if they they kind of shift gears from here on out. So let's move on and talk a little bit about uh, Brentford versus Norwich and another sacking coming out of Norwich. But Brentford, on the other hand, it ended up 2-1 to Brent, to Norwich, I'm sorry. And Brentford, on the other hand, with the high flyers early on the season, seem to have lost the plot now at this point, huh? They have, I think, injuries and I guess teams just figuring them out. Um, they haven't been doing well at all this this last month or so, at least. And uh, I think they've lost to Chelsea, they lost to Leicester, they lost to Burnley, and now they've lost to Norwich City, which uh, is, is a kick in the teeth because you end up losing to a team that's sitting rock bottom and gets their first win away from home at Brentford. Uh, but that still wasn't enough for Daniel Farker to save his, his job. And um, unfortunately, or fortunately for him, it comes after a first win uh, so he can walk away with his held, head, head held high. Yeah, it's one of those interesting ones as well where you look at Brentford and I think four or five weeks ago they were top four and we were talking about European football and now how crazy and how quickly they're dragged into 14th position, Rahul. And it's interesting because I can talk about Arsenal in a second here and they're sitting in fifth who were 15th or 16 just two or three weeks ago. So Again, the Premier League is a dangerous slide. You can go up or down very, very quickly. You've got to watch yourself. And, and Brentford need to catch themselves very, very quickly or they're going to find themselves back in that relegation battle. Um, another game that we want to talk about was Arsenal. Like I just said, they seem to have turned their fortunes, their gameplay, their team selection, their managerial woes all around. And they're climbing the table, like I said, very, very quickly. They're sitting in fifth with three wins in a row. They are, and they haven't lost a game since the end of August, which was against Man City, where they conceded, I believe it was five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since then, they've turned it around, wins, draws, and, and they haven't lost a game in 10 games, uh, lost a game, and I believe in 10 games. Uh, so credit to Arteta. We've sat here and said, should he be leaving? Should Do they need to move on? And they've stuck with him. Uh, and the players are pulling for him, and you can see that from the performances. And uh, I have to put my hand up and say I had doubted Ramsdale earlier this season. Uh, but he's coming up big, and, and I think Chris Wilder said it the best. He said if this if he had performed the same way last season, he'd still be in a job in the Premier League. Uh, but jokes aside, uh, Arsenal deserve the credit that they're getting. And um, looking at goals scored and goals conceded, 13 each, which after the first few weeks of the season, you wouldn't expect uh, expected. But they've turned this around big time and now sit three points above Manchester United. Yeah, it's an incredible story so far. And and because we'll talk a little bit about international break in just a second here, it's good to talk about the likes of uh, Saka. It's good to talk about Emil Smith-Rowe, these young guys that are in and around. And, and I know I think Saka made it to the England squad, but in and around the fringes of the England squad, you talk about this England squad and 
players that they have at their disposal that has still still to fully mature or still to fully find their feet. I mean, we can even talk about Hudson Nadoy later on, but it's just interesting to see how they're all coming to full circle and what England might have at the next World Cup to, to select from. But good job to Arsenal overall. I think if they can continue down this path, they might be, as strange as it sounds, they might be in that top four running again when we were making fun of them early on in the season. So good job to Arteta. And for everybody who sent Arteta out, Maybe we need to do another poll and see if they still agree with that or they want to keep him in now, given that there are not many top managers available at this point in the season. Yeah, absolutely right. And and speaking of top managers, maybe we should go across North London and talk about um, Antonio Conte going up against Everton. Yeah, you know, that's a good match to cover because I think it's a tale of two fortunes with Everton, who, again, were high-flying at the beginning of the season. Rafael Benitez seemed to have them firing on all cylinders and then Nuno at Tottenham was not necessarily on the gas off the gas on the gas they make that change at Tottenham and um, I think Tottenham did good to get a draw out of this particular game but maybe Everton left some points on the table yeah I, I think Everton definitely came out to win this game Tottenham came out to nick this game win it but in the sense that we defend first and then if we win it on the other side we win it they end up going without a shot on target uh, which if you have Harry Kane and Son, that that tells you what the whole story is about Tottenham. But for them, away to Everton, after losing away uh, to Crystal Palace, losing away to Arsenal, conceding three goals on each occasion, isn't a bad result. A nil-nil, they keep a clean sheet. They, they continue to build upon what Antonio Conte is doing in training. Uh, and... Yes, we can say Antonio Conte should have won this first game, but he himself will probably be happy with the point because he knows it's the start of something. It's not how quickly you get that first win. Obviously, he'll want to get it in the next game or so, but it's the it's the move in the right direction for him, and, and he can start working with these players over the international break if he's the ones that are there. And going into the rest of the season, he knows um, who he can work with and who he can trust in that squad. Yeah, and on the counter side, you you would want to hope that Rafael Benitez uses this international break to almost reset because they were doing very, very well at the beginning of the season. I mean, we talked about Demari Gray. I forget how much they signed him for, but it was almost like a steal. Uh, they took off the, the books, uh, James Rodriguez and his wages. And so you go, some things are almost adding up and then they slowly kind of taper off, which is you're wondering what's. I don't want to say what's gone wrong, but what has gone wrong over there with the, how they quickly started. So maybe this international break is a good thing for multiple teams. Maybe they can kind of reset and rebuild and then kind of figure out their, their way from here. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of teams is building before we move on to that West Ham game, just talking about Newcastle, finally having a new manager coach in Eddie Howe. Uh, and from what we've seen, he had his first training session at 6 a.m., <laughs> so he's definitely shaking some things up there. And I honestly think that's a great appointment for Newcastle because he's fought relegation with Bournemouth. He knows how to survive in this league. And once he gets them out of that, he then has the ability or, or the, the opportunity to spend some of this money where he can then prove himself with the right backing and resources to be a good, a, as good a manager as a lot of people say he is. Yeah, and I think one of the, the interesting things I heard about him was coming to Newcastle. He's got a couple of players that he's familiar with in right. Matt Ritchie. He's got Callum Wilson, and I think there's one more I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But he's got players that know him, that believe in him, and so maybe they can be the voice of reason saying, 
we're not in the greatest spot. We've got new ownership. We've got uh, six odd games, seven odd games till January. Let's really hit the ground hard, get as many points as we can now. And then Eddie Howe probably be looking into the market to see if he can pluck two or three good players to help them kind of bounce forward into the summertime from there. Absolutely. And I'm sure that's the goal for Newcastle. And we've seen and said it about multiple teams, a few good results and, and you shoot up, a, up that table. So I'm sure that's what they're hoping for. All right, Rahul, we were itching. We started the, the segment with this particular game. There were bubbles flying all around the stadium. There were bubbles flying around my house because I was so excited <laughs> with this particular result. But before we go into it, this is the West Ham-Liverpool game. We all know how that ended. But at this point in time, Chelsea have dropped points. We're sitting at top with 26 points. Manchester City, of course, win that game. They're 23 points, so three behind if Liverpool win this game, they're within scratching distance of the top of the league. Again, early days, but it's always exciting to talk about. They win this game, they're one point behind us. How does this game play out, my friend? It's I, I mentioned it at the start, it's, it started off with a bang with an early goal, an own goal from Allison, which if you've seen the replays, Klopp and Allison and Liverpool were not happy, but I think it's, it's a fairly um, straightforward goal in that it's the antics of, of when you're defending a corner, they try to block the goalie off, but I, I don't really see anybody holding his hand as, as um, Klopp said. So that's a start and they go one nil up. Trent Alexander Arnold comes back with what a free kick. Wow. What a free kick. Yeah. That was incredible. Um, and he makes it one, one, which, you know what I found odd about that. So him and Salah standing over the ball, he lays it off to Salah, Salah touches it and stops the ball, and then he bends it in, and Salah doesn't get the assist for that. <laughs> and I'm like, but he he was the last one to touch it before the ball went over from Trent's foot into the net. But anyway, it's 1-1, and then uh, West Ham come back, and uh, they always knew they had the ability to break and counter against Liverpool, and they did it a few times prior to the second goal coming from Pablo Fornells. Uh, who ran in behind their defense and for how good Trent was with that free kick. I think some of his defending was uh, suspect and they scored, uh, I beg your pardon, West Ham scored and make it 2-1. And then this man in my background over here, Kurt Zuma pops up from nowhere. And we've seen it as Chelsea fans uh, last season, especially he's got that ability and from, from corners and he rises up and, and makes it 3-1, which is Pretty shocking because if you're if you think about it, for how good West Ham have been, Liverpool have been equally good or even better, especially with the world class player I mentioned in Mohamed Salah. Um, but he doesn't even get a sniff on goal this time around, and 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 West Ham go on to win it three two with a consolation goal from Origi coming for Liverpool. Yeah, just a couple of thoughts here. I think Pablo Fornells looks like a man in in hot form. He he's done well last season. He continues to do well this season. David Moyes has really found a best way to use him. And it was interesting after the match they asked about how come they kind of stepped it up in that second half. And he talked about tactically, which is is interesting to always hear a manager watch things or notice things and make that decision to move Fornells almost from outside being a winger to inside the pockets between similar to what Barkley was doing for Chelsea between the midfield and, and the strikers just to find space. And I'll talk the reason I brought that up is I'll talk about the, the midfield in just a minute here, but then you talk about Kurt happy Zuma and you look at what, what the manager says after the game and the fact that we've given him stick because all of our defenders are scoring. I expect more from Kurt. And it's like, 
he's here to defend, but then he comes in and chips in with a goal. And what more do you want from your team other than, hey, my manager's asking me to chip in at set pieces. Here I go. I'm going to chip in at set pieces. So happy for the lad. I think he's always been a great player for Chelsea whenever he's been selected. So it's good to see him continuing in that vein. But I want to talk a little bit about midfield with you, Rahul. I think this game was lost, won and lost because of the midfield. And Liverpool traditionally have had a very, very good, solid midfield. I mean, they've won the Premier League with the likes of Fabinho. You've got Henderson. I know they had Ronaldo a few seasons ago, but now you're looking at Keita. They went in and signed um, the gentleman from Bayern Munich. I'm forgetting his name right now, uh, who has incredible passing range. But Thiago. Thiago Alacantara. And they just did not seem to turn up for this game. A lot of misplaced passes, slow to react. I mean, at one point... West Ham kept countering and countering and countering, and Declan Rice is bringing the ball up forward, who, by the way, was another brilliant one in midfield for West Ham. And you just see Virgil van Dijk just getting visibly upset, frustrated, irritated, and this is after he has blocked chance after chance after chance, and he's staring at his midfield saying, where are you? Why are you giving away the ball? Why can't you control the midfield? What is going on? And that was a very interesting thing to see, just based on the fact that Liverpool of past have really held games, won games, controlled games from that midfield. You're spot on. And you a name you mentioned there was um, Jorginho Wijnaldum, who's now moved on to uh, PSG. And I think they've been missing him because he had the ability to press like Jurgen Klopp wants, uh, defend when he's needed, and just be a presence overall in, in not just the midfield, but all over the pitch. Uh, and they didn't replace him. Keita, you mentioned, has had his issues with injury. Uh, they played Oxlade Chamberlain in this game, who is a good player, but I don't think he has the same characteristics as, as Wijnaldum. And so I think that's the missing piece there is they need someone like Wijnaldum to, to do all of that work and make the rest of the team look good. I'm not saying one person makes a team, but it shows you the impact that he did have in the squad. Uh, and he moved to PSG. I don't think he's playing much for them. So no. I'm, I'm not here to start any rumors or anything, but maybe a return for him in the future or a return to the Premier League in general would be a good idea. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the, the issue with, I guess, the midfield area you were mentioning. But again, they have a lot of good players. They've got enough to to get, get a win, but you've got to look at the other side and, and you don't want to keep talking too much about West Ham because they are rivals and they are top of the table rivals. Uh, but the work Moise has done, I mean, when he was first hired, again, I think it was 18 months ago, no one expected expected this. He, they were fighting relegation 18 months ago. They've turned it around. They ended up in Europe last season, two points off of Champions League. And we said, okay, now they're in Europa League. They're going to fall through. And here they are sitting in third, three points behind us at the top of the table. And he's built a squad which isn't made of superstars. I mean, you look at, you mentioned Declan Rice, who, who's turning into a superstar. But he's doing that with his performances on the pitch and, and not because of he plays for a top six team. You look at side Ben Rama, who was playing for, I believe, Brentford in the championship. He's made the step up and is performing. Look at our boy, Kurt Zuma, who... Is a very good player, a good defender, but you almost always felt like when you were watching him, he could make a wrong decision or he could make a, a, a mistake. And that seems to have changed with West Ham. And then I, the one player I'll mention, or second last player I'll mention before I talk about <laughs> the, the, the striker, 
in Suchek, we he's come in and, and is almost like Fellaini with his his midfield presence, with his physicality, <laughs> and and he ends up getting some goals sometimes. And then Michele Antonio, we've spoken about him, but for a right back to end up becoming a striker, and yes, he didn't score in this game, but he did a lot of positive yeah. things that impacted the game. And we played him in a few weeks, and and trust me, I will be a little concerned before that build up, but. I'll save that for then. Yeah, look, you've, you've talked about quite a few valid points here. And, and one thing I want to grab onto is you go from last season, Rahul, which West Ham did very well. I mean, I remember you and I talking about several episodes, Alex coming on, talking about David Moyes and what a good job he's done. But then to go on this season and add European football, which is another mix, a uh, lot of games. And one thing commentators were talking about is David Moyes doesn't seem or appear at this point in the season to like to rotate his squad too much. So... He's got them very fit. He's got them very focused. And I, for one, hope this can last. I don't know how you can last this with this much football consistently winning games if you're not going to rotate. And so maybe the difference is going to come later on the season when we start looking at the bench, if he can bring some of these other players that are not necessarily starting every single game and how they perform. Maybe he looks to go back to a January loan signing. He did something familiar with Lingard last season and brought him in and what an impact he had. So it remains to be seen if they can continue with this consistency. I think it's it's brilliant what they've done so far, and I hope they continue, and we'll see how that plays out. But before we move on to some international coverage, let me quickly run through the table here. I know we've mentioned it in bits and pieces throughout the entire segment, but Chelsea have held on to top spot, sitting in there with 26 points, and following them is Manchester City, no surprise there, with 23 points. The big surprise is West Ham sitting in third with 23 points, same as Manchester City. Liverpool in fourth, dropping points to West Ham, sitting with 22 points there. And honorable mention to Arsenal, sitting with 20 points in fifth. So very well done to those teams there. And then we go back to the bottom. Not much has changed, Rahul. I've got to be honest with you. Norwich in fifth, new manager. So we got to watch out there. Newcastle in 19th, five points, new manager there. So another one to watch out for. And Burnley with that incredible draw against us with eight points, fighting to try and get out of that relegation zone there. For us, we said we needed to pull away in this last month or so. We did pull away. We we kind of gave that up. But again, three points uh, at this point of the season isn't a bad bad gap to have. We've just got to build on upon it because, like we've said, few results, positive or negative, and, and you slide up or down this table, and then the pressure mounts on you as a manager. Speaking specifically for Tuchel, but um, with the games coming, you've got to Got to keep your fingers crossed. We do indeed. Let's talk a little bit about international, Rahul, before we move on. Maybe we'll spend a few minutes here. And a couple of interesting games that are going on. I'll just throw some games out there. Brazil versus Colombia. So players are going to be traveling around for that one. That's just one that sounds interesting. England versus Albania. Now, with all due respect to Albania, I think England should have this one in the bag. But lots of Chelsea players going out there from, the, from England. Lots of Premier League players going out there. To, to represent England in these games as well. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, lots of other different games. You're going to see Netherlands playing Montenegro. So that's big. We've also got African games going in with Senegal versus Congo, uh, Scotland versus Denmark. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So we may touch more on this in the, in the next episode. But an interesting question came up to Thomas Tuchel and what he does during the international break. And so I wanted to highlight this for you, and maybe you can share some thoughts on that as well. 
he asked how he he was asked how he felt about the international break. And he was pretty pretty diplomatic, saying it's impressive to have a player represent their country. He knows what that means, but for him, what he's going to do is not try to watch too much football. Use it as a mental break. He's maybe read a book, drive his kids to school, take a little bit of rest, and so. It's very interesting for a man who eats, breeds, sleeps football. He's not necessarily going to keep an eye on this. I wonder if that's a little bit of leave me alone and don't ask me too many questions <laughs> for this particular segment. But he was also asked about the likes of N'Golo Kante and Pulisic, which I thought was a very interesting question because both of these gentlemen have struggled, at least in the early part of the season, with injury, but have both been called up for critical games for France and USA, respectively. And that's a tough one from from my perspective as a fan. Absolutely, I want Conte to go represent his country, Pulisic to go represent the USA. But at the same time, selfishly as a Chelsea fan, these are two key individuals for us. And with them gone, they could feature heavily, or at least we assume they will feature heavily for their countries and might end up doing worse on the injuries that have been, been plaguing them this season. I just want to get your feedback on these couple of points here. Uh, I, I mean, I agree with you on, on the injury point. It's With Pulisic especially, we've spent so long with him being out. He finally starts coming back for Chelsea and now. And, and Tuchel managed his minutes with against Malmo, managed his minutes against uh, Burnley, and then now he goes away to, to the U.S. men's national team. And um, not to say that they won't manage his minutes, but they've got a game against Mexico and, and that's a game that you want to win. And if you have Pulisic on that squad, even on the bench, you, you want to throw him on and get him to perform. So the concern is if he picks up an injury, we're going to lose more time. The, the flip side of it is this is a game where he can get fitter, sharper match fitness wise and, and come back to Chelsea ready to go, which is what we're hoping for. <laughs> Uh, and similar to that, Conte too. I mean, I, I think between Chelsea and France, they manage the minutes pretty well. Um, but all it takes is, is one tweak, like we saw with Pogba, and now he's out for, I think it was 10 to 12 weeks, which is a big loss. So keeping our fingers crossed, I'll be praying to all the gods out there that our players come back safe and sound and, and ready to go for the next stage of the season. Fair enough. I'll talk about one more player who's been selected for the England squad, and that's Reese James, one of your favorites, as you call, you endearingly refer to him as Beast James. Uh, form of his life, at least according to him, he's coming up against the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker. I mean, the England squad is not short of right backs by any means, or right wing backs, however you want to play it. Definitely is in the form of his life. Do you think Reese is the, or should be the first choice for England? Yes. <laughs> well summarized there <laughs> and his um and in his story today he had my left back for ben chilwell he go. should be the starting left back for england but if southgate wants to rest them and, and not overplay them i'm totally fine with that too because i'd rather they save their energy now and then perform for england in the summer fair enough i think that's valuable advice for southgate so i hope he's listening and gives reese and ben some much needed rest so they can come back to Chelsea and, and continue to perform at the high levels that they do for us. But I know some interesting stuff that's coming out of Chelsea is the women's camp. Rahul, what do you have to share with us on that front? Yes. So while the men are away on international duty, and that doesn't mean they're not playing, the Chelsea women are still playing and playing for um, uh, the Chelsea schedule. So they just came off 
a win against Aston Villa in the Women's Super League, uh, beating them 1-0. Uh, a goal from Fleming, who scores and puts us second in the table, just three points behind Arsenal. So if you remember a few weeks ago, or at least a few months ago at this point, we had opened the season to, with the loss to Arsenal, and yeah. now we sit only three points behind them, which is a, a good recovery. Uh, and then they followed that up with a resounding, thumping, whatever word you want to use to describe this, 7-0 win over Servette in the, in the Women's Champions League. And uh, it started off and Chelsea were all over them. I mean, we Fran Kirby hits the post, hits the bar, they clear it out. And then finally, Leopold's uh, a few minutes later hits a rocket into the net and opens the scoring, makes it 1-0. And then Kirby, I mean, Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby, uh, pick up the the baton and say this is our show we're gonna run it and score the next four goals between the two of them to make it five nil uh, and then if that wasn't enough Fleming who scored in the last game wanted to get herself a goal too and made it six nil in the first half of this game so I'm gonna take a breath here and let you speak because I need to catch up so I can give you the rest of the game Look, what's interesting about this particular game is not that the game ends up being 7-0, which I know you'll talk about in just a second here. It's not that the women were that dominant. I think it's exciting when they play this this amazing football. And it's almost like anything the men can do, speaking of Norwich, and then you come back, we can do as well. I think it is the impressive, aggressive nature in which they said, in this first half, we're not only going to score a couple of goals, we're going to kill off this game to the point where we come in the second half and we're not going to play in, in first or second gear. We're not even going to play in half gear. We're going to just play kick about and rest ourselves just because we've done the business that we needed to in that first half. And I think to me, that's very commendable. That's something that's critical for any championship driving team or team that wants to go win things is do the business quick, do the business fast, do the business effectively and then just keep your body at rest to continue to fight for a long season to come ahead. And I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. Yeah, and, and that's the the beauty of it, right, is that you within the first 30 minutes, this game is over. And then you have to be a professional and continue to do your job, which doesn't mean you don't score the goals if the opportunity comes, but you don't go out of your way to embarrass the team, right? Uh, which in all due respect aren't at the standard that Chelsea are at. But uh, they are in this in this group stage of the Champions League, and they deserve to be there. And Chelsea, on the same token, deserve to be playing the way they do. And, and they go ahead and make it 7-0, like you mentioned. In, early in that second half, uh, Guru Raitan makes it 7. And uh, it ends 7-0, which, again, it, it could have been a lot more. It could have been 6. It could have ended at the first half. But Chelsea do the job that they have to. Uh, but the highlight of the second half is a return for uh, Marin Mielda, who had injured her knee in March earlier this year and has spent most of the, the, the year recovering and coming back and, and rehabilitating. And she gets a few minutes, and that's almost like, yes, we won 7-0, but that's more fulfilling to see because yeah. she was a big part of the squad. She got injured. She missed out on, on the run for the, the second half of last season. But now she's coming back, and and that only adds to our options in the squad that are are all firing. And Beth England herself could have scored towards the end. So um, it's great to see, and and hopefully the men take some notes. We say this every time, 
we talk about the women, but hopefully the men can take some notes in terms of killing off teams uh, and, and then just doing the professional job, like we were saying. Yeah, and before we wrap up, Rahul, just a quick shout out to Emma Hayes, because you posted something very funny about how she runs her press conferences in that she's aloof. She keeps her cards close to her chest, but has a witty response to every silly question that comes out at her, which is it's great to see because it shows that there's still a fire in her belly. She's still hungry to go out and win these games. And uh, again, I keep coming back to the fact that after we finish the first half six nail, we then go and take our foot off the gas, but control the match and end up finishing seven nails. So credit to her. I think the way she's managing things is, is incredible. And it's just going to be brilliant to continue to see how far they can go this season as well. And, and all these players are now, was it three months through two and a half months into the season? They all fit, ready to go, finding their form, scoring goals. And, and it's just good to see. And it's fulfilling. Uh, and the next game comes against Manchester city, which is, is no easy game even though Manchester City sits seventh in the Women's Super League, they were the ones up there last season pushing us for the title. So uh, away for away to Man City is never going to be easy, but it should be a good game, and it's on Sunday, uh, November 14th. And like I said, the men aren't playing, but there's definitely a great opportunity to check out what the Chelsea women are doing. Uh, and here in the U.S., these games are all available on NBCSN.com. So uh, definitely check it out. Yeah, that'll be definitely one I'll be tuning into. And so before we wrap it up, there's just some some piece of news to share from uh, Chelsea as a club. They will be an early adopter of safe standing from the first January of, of, of next year, uh, which is basically a section of Stamford Bridge, which will be opened up to uh, supporters that can stand throughout these games. Uh, this safe standing or standing option was taken away about 30 years ago or so. Uh, due to just overcrowding and, and the, the lack of safety for supporters. Uh, but with new regulations and new laws in place, clubs are, are coming back with it. And Cardiff City, Manchester City, Manchester United and Tottenham, along with Chelsea, are the early adopters. So something uh, new and exciting to look out for. All right. Hopefully we can make it out there and stand for 90 minutes, Rahul, you and I. <laughs> as long as I don't have to um, squat like Bielsa, I should be okay. There you go. <laughs> um, but that wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, as always, send us your feedback, and we will be back, uh, I guess, later this week or early next week uh, with a new episode, but until then stay safe and up the chelts.